This morning we'll be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. Paul writes to the Romans, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repray no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Let's pray as we prepare to hear from God. Lord, we've actually just sung a prayer to you that we would see more about Jesus. And we pray that that would be true. That we would see Jesus Christ in this passage from Colossians. That we would see clearly Uh, who he is, what he's like, and Lord, that you would make us like Jesus Christ. You promised that that is actually your plan for us, and we pray for this passage that you would do that right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon is coming from Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. It's Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Hear these words. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I went to to see the doctor recently just for a, a general checkup. And, and during that visit, what I noticed is that the doctor was very good at giving me lots of advice, lots of good things about how to be healthy. You know, avoid sugar. That was one of his big things. Avoid sugar and make sure you're getting more exercise. You get the idea. He went on for a long time. Now, I actually thought about the doctor's visit as I looked at, at this passage 
Because in this entire passage, really from verses 1 to 17, Paul is describing what our Christian life should look like. What are the things that we should be avoiding? And what are the things that we should be doing? Now, my doctor, all that he could do for me would, was to give me good advice based on maybe the, the latest study, you know, what, what, what we think is going to be helpful for you. But Paul, as he describes the Christian life, Paul is able to go much further and much deeper. He is actually commanding us here to be who we are in Christ. Paul has actually already told us who we are, right? Especially in those verse, first couple of verses here, verses 1 through 4, that we are united to Christ. That means that we are connected to Christ in His death, His resurrection, His reign, and His return. And because of that connection, we can and should kill sin in our life. That's what we saw last week, really, was putting sin to death. In our passage this week, Paul turns to look at who we should be and and what we should do, kind of the positive side now, and not just what we should do or be as ourselves, all by yourself, but actually who we are and what we need to be doing as the body of Jesus Christ. So the main idea in this passage is that our life together is shaped by Christ in everything because we are all united to Christ. Again, our life together is shaped by Christ in absolutely everything because all of us are united together to Christ. As we see that, we'll see three basic points. We'll see first that we are shaped by God's char- by Christ's character in verses 12 to 14. We'll see that we are shaped by Christ's gifts in verses 15 to 16. And thirdly, we'll see that we are shaped by Christ in everything in verse 17. Paul begins by showing us that we are shaped by Christ's character. And that's in verses 12 to 14. Paul opens with this command to the Colossians. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and blameless, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now notice that before Paul says what we need to put on, what the Colossians and us need to put on, before what, he actually reminds them of who they are. Paul's point here is that who we are makes what we need to do possible, right? Who we are makes what we need to do possible. So who are we? What does Paul say here? Well, in the previous passage, Paul talked about us all as the new man, right? We have put on that new man where Christ is all and in all. In verse 12 here, Paul is looking at our identity, maybe from from a different angle. He says, we are God's chosen ones. He says, we are God's chosen people. Now, when God chooses us, when he has chosen us to be his people, he has a purpose in mind. And that's part of what Paul is getting at here. Paul explains God's purpose this way in Romans 8. He says, for those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God chose us. He made us his people to make us like Christ. That's the goal for what God has done. 
And now that God has both chosen us and he's actually stepped in to save us, we are now holy and beloved. Our status has changed. In Christ, we are holy. We've gone from sinners to saints. We are the holy ones. And also, we have that unchangeable love of God, our Father, in Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son. Paul is saying that who you are, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, that matters. All of these next commands that he's about to give are possible because God has chosen you and I to be like Christ, and he's actually already begun that work. But there's more to be done. There's a whole lot more to be done. And that's why Paul actually gives these commands here. As we look at verses 12 and 13, just to begin, in verse 12, we see the attitude that we need to have, the attitude we need to put on. And then in verse 13, Paul goes on to describe the actions that come from that attitude. So attitude and actions. Before we look at the details, I do want to paint just the the, the bigger picture here. Why is Paul saying to do these things? Now, really, the reason we're meant to put on any of these graces, any of these good things, is because they are true of Christ first. And we'll see that as we look at these individual things. But remember that you and I are being conformed to Christ. What is true of Christ becomes true of us. So verses 12, 13, and 14 as a whole are really describing Christ's character being worked out in you. Christ's character becomes our character as well. Let's look first at the attitude that Paul calls us to in verse 12. So we look at the attitude, we see that Paul highlights five particular graces here. It says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Think about compassionate hearts. What what is Paul describing there? Well, he's thinking about what compassion is. He's talking about mercy. Compassion and mercy that should be at the very core of who we are. And especially a compassion for spiritual needs. This is exactly who Jesus is. Um, Think about Jesus' own compassion. There's a famous passage in Matthew 9. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them like sheep without a shepherd. That's who he saw them to be. And notice what he says to his disciples right afterward. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We know that Jesus cared about physical needs. He healed people. He fed them. He did miracles. But here in this passage in Matthew, we see Jesus' compassion for even greater spiritual needs. And he calls his disciples to have that same compassion and that same prayer and that same action. So first, compassionate hearts like Jesus. But also, we need to have the kindness that Jesus shows to us as well. All the way through Scripture, you can see the kindness of God to us in Jesus Christ. Think about what Paul says in Romans 11 or elsewhere, that God is actually showing kindness to us in saving us. Paul also says that we need to have humility and meekness. Another way to translate meekness may be gentleness. That might be something we think about 
more in our, our context. Um, th- these are true of Jesus as well. Jesus describes himself this way. These are the two words that he chooses, that he is gentle and humble. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And that is why he calls people to come to him, because of who he is. You can also look at Christ's humility and his entire work for us, right? Think about Philippians 2, that Christ humbled himself, coming from heaven all the way to death for you and I. That is the humility that we need to be putting on as well. Finally, we see patience. That is another character quality of God. This is who God is. And we see it in Jesus Christ, that we have a patient, long-suffering Lord. Patient with sinners to bring them to repentance, and patient with us as his people when so often we still keep going our own way. God in Christ is patient with us. These are the graces, ultimately, that are true of Christ and that should be true of us as well. But each one of these graces is really involving other people. It's not just you and your heart. Each one of these graces involves others. It's compassion and kindness toward others. It's humility and meekness, really with respect to other people. It's patience with others. Each one of these graces can really only be done, or we can grow in them when we are together. Now, Paul's focus on other people comes out even more clearly in verse 13, when Paul describes the actions that come from these inward attitudes. And he has two specific actions in mind. He says, first, that we need to bear with one another in the church. This is putting up with one another in the church. Um, God has brought a lot of different people together into his body. In this congregation or in other places as well. We need to recognize those differences and the stress that that can cause. Those differences can and do cause friction in the body of Christ. Whether it's a difference in background difference in culture, difference in likes, dislikes, whatever it is, those things can cause difficulties. And that's even apart from sin, right? But whether it's difficulties, whether it's a challenge, or whether it's actually sin, we need to bear with one another. Think of what Peter says. Peter says, actually, that love covers a multitude of sins. Paul is calling us to bear with one another. That's hard. It is difficult to do. But Paul actually calls us to something that's even more difficult and even more necessary. He says to bear with one another and to forgive one another. He says, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I know Paul here says, if one has a complaint against another, um, but we sin against one another in the church. That's just the truth that this will happen. And Paul says, if and when this does happen, when someone sins against you, we need to seek and to give forgiveness. Paul actually connects our forgiveness of other believers to Christ's own forgiveness of us. What is Christ's forgiveness like? What did Christ do for you as he forgave you? Well, if you're a believer, then all of your sins are completely Forgiven. All of your sins, the the full extent of your sin and the full depth of your sin is forgiven. 
and God doesn't bring it up again. He doesn't hold it over your head. No, when he has forgiven it, he's forgiven it completely. God even says, book of Jeremiah, this is the promise. I will forgive their iniquities. Talking about his people. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. But what's even more amazing about Christ's forgiveness of you is that every one of our sins is personal. Every one of our sins is an attack on God. It's really actually slapping our Savior in His face every time we sin against Him. That's what's happening. And yet, even though every one of our sins is a personal attack on a holy God, He forgives us completely. This is what our forgiveness should look like as well. Complete forgiveness. Not, you know, forgetting about the problem or saying, oh, it's, it's all right, it doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does matter. No, we need to give complete and full forgiveness to others. And it also has to be personal. Even the most personal attack against you from your brother and sister in the church can and should be forgiven. I know that's hard. I know from personal experience that's hard, and I bet you know that too. Paul knows that's hard too. And Paul points us to Christ and his forgiveness for us, not just to give us a pattern that we just need to try harder and imitate Christ better to forgive one another, but to encourage us. Because Christ has forgiven us, he's given us the power to forgive others. And as Paul moves on, as he's thinking about what should be true of us, he says there's one more grace, one more thing you have to put on. And this, in some ways, is the most important. He says, put on love. Put on love. Above all these, in addition to all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is important because it has that unique role that Paul describes here. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. It certainly binds us together as as people in the church, as brothers and sisters. But I think Paul more specifically has in mind the graces that he's just described. All of those things he's just described, love really is the foundation for all those other Christian graces. Paul says in Romans 13 that love fulfills the law. And how does it do that? Well, think about what the great commandment of the law is to love God completely and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you don't have love, all of these other graces that Paul's just described, they're impossible. You will not be able to do them. You cannot have true compassion, true kindness, humility, meekness, and patience unless you truly love God and you love each other. That's what Paul is calling us to, a deep love for God and for one another. That's what it looks like actually to be conformed to Christ. That love is what characterizes Christ before it will ever be in our lives as well. Now, as we think about what Paul is saying here, really about being conformed to Christ, to be conformed to Christ's character, we have to see the work of the Spirit. We have to see what the Spirit is doing here because the Spirit is the one who does that work in your heart to give you these graces and to grow these graces to make you more like Jesus Christ. Just a simple example, but a very important thing to say. Do you really know the fruit of the Spirit? 
Remember, it's in the book of Galatians. Paul describes what the Spirit does in your life. What is the fruit he produces there? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are just some of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing. And we see other ones here in our passage. But it's what the Holy Spirit produces in you. That's what we have here in Colossians. We do not mold ourselves into Christ's character. No, the Spirit is the one who is at work to mold us, to shape us, to be like Christ. So as we look at this passage, we need to see that we are shaped by the Spirit to have the character of Christ. But we also see, second, that we are shaped by the gifts of Christ. We see that in verses 15 to 16. Paul focuses really on two main gifts that Christ gives us. He says the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. Right in the middle, we'll see sandwich thankfulness for all of Christ's gifts. But let's start with the peace of Christ. Paul says that we need to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed we were called in one body. That the peace of Christ that's so central here, the peace of Christ that, that Christ himself gives us, is the peace that Christ has earned for us. It's peace with God, first and foremost, but it's also peace with one another. It's reconciliation. That's what we saw earlier in Colossians. Paul talks about it, Colossians 1, 21 to 23, the reconciliation that Christ has worked for us and God and with one another. And Paul says that that kind of peace, that kind of peace should rule in our hearts. At the very core of who we are, we should be marked and controlled by Christ's peace. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we say is controlled by Christ's peace. Paul's emphasis here seems to be particularly on peace with one another as he thinks about life in the body. Paul says that we are called to that peace of Christ in one body. He's emphasizing the unity that we have. So the church, as a body, as a group, should be marked by peace. That means in our congregation, in our relationships with one another, the, the foremost, the, the most important characteristic here is love and peace between the brothers. It's true in our own congregation. It's true between other churches, other denominations, that we should be marked as the one universal body of Christ by peace. It's not unity, though. It's not unity. We're going to be different than one another. Whether we're individuals or congregations, we're going to be different. So it's, it's unity, not uniformity. And also, as we talk about peace, people can go wrong. It's not peace at any price. It's where people go wrong. Sin is still sin, and the truth matters. Now, Paul says that we need to be united together in peace. He also calls us to be thankful. Paul doesn't mention a specific gift that we should be thankful for, a specific gift that Christ gives, But actually, this command fits very, very well in this part of the passage because thankfulness really flows from all of God's gifts for us, especially salvation in Christ. One thing I've noticed reading through Colossians is how often thankfulness shows up. It's actually one of the key themes of the letter. And even in our passage, you see it in verse 15, you see it again in verse 16, 
And you see it again in verse 17. Now, Paul is emphasizing thankfulness because he's saying this is the natural response, the new natural response of the new man in Christ. We are responding in thankfulness to who Christ is and to what he has done. So we've looked at the the peace of Christ, thankfulness for all of God's gifts, but Paul highlights one more gift of Christ here. It's really the word of Christ. This is the the gift that Jesus has given to his church. It's the Bible. That's what Paul means here as he talks about the word of Christ. And Paul says we need to take that gift that Jesus has given us and we need to let that word dwell richly in our hearts. Saying the Bible should have a central place in your own personal life, in the life of your family, and especially in the life of the church together. When the word of Christ is dwelling richly in our hearts, that means we are not just going through the motions of religion. No, Paul here is describing word-centered, word-transformed lives. And again, like earlier in this passage, with the character of Christ and the peace of Christ, Paul's focus is actually on the church of Christ together. How does the word of Christ dwell richly in us as a body. That's where Paul is going to be pointing us to. Paul actually highlights two ways that this will happen. He says that we're going to let that word dwell richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We're supposed to be teaching the truth and admonishing or warning one another from sin. It's striking that Paul describes his own ministry using these exact same words. Actually, earlier in Colossians, Colossians 1.28, he says that's what he's doing as an apostle, teaching and admonishing. But here, Paul seems to be describing the activity of the entire church. Not just let me, the apostle, teach and admonish. Not just let your pastor teach and admonish. But all members of the church are supposed to be doing this. In other places, Paul shows the importance of pastors and elders, right? Those who Christ has given to his church to do these things in a special way. Look at Ephesians 4, the entire book of 1 Timothy, really, that pastors and elders are called to preach and teach and to exercise church discipline. But here in Colossians, in this passage, Paul assumes almost that every member will be involved in this same work in an appropriate way. Similar to what we've seen before in Ephesians 4, every member ministry, every member has a role in teaching and admonishing one another. As we think about what that might look like, we we can think of maybe a one-on-one discipleship or participating in a Bible study, but Paul has in mind something else, something I found actually pretty unexpected in a way that involves all of us at the same time a way that we're all involved in teaching and admonishing one another, and it's singing. It's singing to one another. He says, we're supposed to be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Translations of this verse can be a little bit different. Maybe you heard something a little bit different from what I just said. But what I want to show you what I think Paul's main idea, our core idea here is, we teach and admonish one another 
through singing together in worship. That seems to be what Paul is emphasizing here. Maybe I can say it another way. The truth of God's word is proclaimed and applied in our songs. That's what's actually happening here. The truth of God's word is proclaimed and applied in our songs. And because that's true, there are two particularly important points to notice. The first is simply that what we sing matters. If this is what we're supposed to be doing, then what we sing matters. We need biblical preaching. We all recognize that. But we also need biblical songs. See, what Paul says here, he calls them psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Those include actual psalms from the Bible, actual pieces of Scripture, but also hymns and spiritual songs, other songs that are written by by people, but that are based on the truth of the Bible, that are proclaiming and applying the Word. You know, here at PRPC, that's why we sing at least one psalm every worship service. Why? Because it's right here in the text that that's what we need to be doing. We need to be singing scripture. But we also sing other good biblical hymns. And the reason we do this is because we take what we sing very seriously because of what it's actually doing in our hearts. But the second important point from what Paul's words here, that we can get from Paul's words here, is that your singing matters for everyone else in this congregation, every member here from the smallest child, I want to especially emphasize that, from the children even, to the oldest person, from the newest Christian to the most mature, everyone is able to do this work and is called to do this work together. You are helping your brothers and sisters to be more like Christ as we sing together in worship. That's an amazing privilege that we have, that as we sing together, we are singing to God. That's true, but we are also singing to one another. So sing, knowing what you're doing and knowing that you are singing to benefit others and sing with a heart that loves God and loves the person standing next to you. You know, Paul brings up this point again. This is not the only time it shows up. Actually, in Ephesians, in Ephesians 5, he makes a very similar point to what he says here. He says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Worship is one of the the primary ways that God is making us more like Christ. And one of the ways he's chosen to do that is to use you and I as we worship together in singing. You know, in that passage I just read from Ephesians, and also this passage in Colossians, Paul emphasizes not just the effect that you're having on other people, but actually the importance of what's happening in your own heart as we sing. Notice what he says here in Colossians. Paul writes that we sing with thankfulness in our own hearts to God. He's bringing up that theme of thankfulness again, and it makes sense because if we're singing biblical truth, if we are singing about the character of God and the great acts of God, thankfulness. Thankfulness should be our response to who he is and what he has done. Thankfulness in our own hearts will also then affect others as we sing. So we are shaped by Christ's character and Christ's gifts. And in verse 17, we see our third point that we are actually shaped by Christ in everything. 
In this last verse, Paul kind of zooms out to look at how Christ shapes all of our lives. Everything in our lives is affected by Christ. Paul writes, whatever you do in word or deed. And when he says that, he really means it. Everything, whatever you do, you need to be doing these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul means that who Jesus is shapes everything that we do. He says that we do things in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a way of describing who Jesus is. Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. So we live our lives under the Lordship of Christ. And loving Jesus means obeying Him as our Lord in all things. But do you remember also what Paul has taught us in Colossians about who Jesus is? Think about all the other things that He is the Creator that he is the reconciler, that he is the goal of all of creation. Those things too, who the Lord Jesus is in his fullness and all of those things, that also affects everything that we do. Everything in our lives should be in line with Christ. That's from the biggest decisions of our life. We need to make those in light of who we are in Christ, what he's done. So we need to be thinking about how can we honor him in making this decision, this this major thing in our life. But this is almost even more important. It's just the daily faithfulness. If we're actually doing everything in word and deed, that means everything all the time. That means brushing your teeth. means reading your emails, watching TV, checking your phone. Things we probably don't think about. How can I actually be doing these things in the name of the Lord Jesus? And yet, that's what Paul is calling us to. Faithfulness, Christ-shaped life, in everything that we do. Remember that we are actually being conformed to Christ, not just in our character, not just in our relationships, not just in our worship, but actually in everything about who we are and what we do. Any less than that, anything less than that doesn't fit God's plan of salvation because Jesus died to save and sanctify every single part of us. It's striking that as Paul presents this view of an entire Christ-shaped life, he ends with thanksgiving. And notice, thanksgiving, that's actually shaped by Christ. He can't get away from this. He says, we do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. Even this constant thanksgiving is only possible through Jesus as our mediator. Paul brings up the same point in Romans, in Romans 1. Romans 7, he's giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. There really, I can't emphasize this enough, there is really no part of our lives as individuals or our life as the church that is not shaped by Christ. That is an amazing truth. And I I just want to make three brief applications here. First one, the first application of this passage is encouragement. I am encouraged as I have gotten to know you as a congregation more, because I see much of what Paul says here lived out in our church. I see humility, love, a peaceful unity, the word of Christ at work, and thankfulness. Those are marks of this congregation. And I want you to know that I'm encouraged by you, and I hope that you're encouraged as well. So encouragement, but also an encouragement to grow together. To grow, to continue to grow together because Paul's commands here are for you in the body. 
You are not going to be able to grow to be more like Christ if you are not together with the body. It's not going to work. We need deeper relationships with one another to grow in Christ's character. And we need to live and worship together as the body to be shaped by the gifts Christ has given to his church, to all of us together. I would encourage each one of you to be as present and involved as you can in the life of the church for your own good and for our good. You need us and we need you so that we all can be more like Christ. And just third and finally, a challenge. And I I was very challenged this week. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? That's what I thought about as I read this passage. Do I want to be like Jesus? Look into your heart. Do these things that are described here, do they excite you? Do they just, are these the most amazing things? I want to be like this because I want to be like Christ. If you, read, if you read what's said there and you look in your own heart, you don't find that. could be go, because you're going through a, a spiritual dry season. All of us do that from time to time. Take encouragement because Christ is still at work in you to make you like himself, even in those times. But also, if you look in your own heart and you don't see this, you don't see this joy, you don't see this love, you don't see this desire to be like Christ... I have to ask the question, are you actually in Christ? Does that describe you? If not, if you look in your own heart and you don't see that excitement because you find out you don't love Christ, you don't, you're not in Christ, you need to set that right. You need, to, you need to set that right by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. What Paul says here is true, that being like Christ is the best thing in the entire world. There is nothing better than being like Christ by ourselves, but also, as Paul says here, as the body. That is what God wants for us, to be like Christ. I would encourage all of us to make that a prayer, again, for ourselves and for the body, that we would desire what God desires, that we would desire together to be like Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that we can be like Christ. Lord, there's nobody else that we would want to be like. There are many uh, things we see in the world around us, things we see in our own hearts that are false alternatives, things that look nice, but they really aren't because there's still sin. And yet, as we look at Christ, we we see God. And Lord, we pray that you would increase our desire as a congregation, to be like Jesus Christ, that what is true of Christ, that you would make it true of us. We pray that we would work to do those things, but also, Lord, that you would be at work in us to will and to work according to your good pleasure. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.